Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to this week's episode of the Periodical Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin, along with my amazing co-host, Tavis. What's up? And we are here to talk about new emission standards for Colorado, New Mexico, and Texas. As always, this will cover the content in this week's periodical that I released this past Wednesday, December the 2nd. So, Tavis, take it away. The global climate affects nearly every aspect of human life, including food sources, transportation, infrastructure, clothing, and if you're like me and need to get away for the winter, vacation spots. It has a huge effect on personal livelihood, health, and future plans. As a result, it is not surprising that across the United States, climate change is becoming increasingly prevalent in legislative changes. In a nutshell, climate change is the gradual warming of the Earth accelerated by human emissions of greenhouse gases that result in large-scale shifts in weather patterns. Impacts from oil and gas development on air quality is a growing issue across the United States as the sector contributes additional amounts of greenhouse gases to those naturally occurring in the atmosphere, increasing the greenhouse effect and global warming. Of particular concern within the oil industry is flaring, venting, and the effects of fugitive gas emissions on global climate change. These are the particular issues new legislative changes are targeting. The U.S. Environmental Protection Agency, back in August of 2020, began rolling back emissions regulations enacted to curb the release of methane during Barack Obama's two terms in the White House. The action, expected but nonetheless condemned by environmentalists, had a little-noticed side effect. Experts predict that it could lead to higher emissions of volatile organic compounds, or VOCs, and hazardous air pollutants causing smog and have been linked to cancer, respiratory illness, and a growing list of other ailments. With the federal government taking a bit of a step back on these issues, several states have made significant changes to create stricter regulations on emissions, air quality, and flaring rules recently. These new requirements may impact ENP operators in several ways, while providing opportunities for other areas of the oil and gas sector. Despite the substantial growth in production, methane emissions from oil and gas operations are estimated to have generally remained flat between 2005 and 2015 due to increased regulatory requirements adopted by the Air Quality Control Commission, or the AQCC, that have led to a declining leak rate in the sector. In addition, Colorado has been a leader in developing environmental regulations for oil and gas dating back to 2005 when the first systems-wide tank regulations were enacted. Since adoption of that first set of regulatory requirements, Colorado has engaged in a series of rulemakings to further reduce oil and gas emissions. With rulemaking in 2006, 2008, 2014, 2016, and 2017, Colorado has adopted increasingly more stringent requirements for the oil and gas sector aimed at a wide range of sources including oil storage tanks, glycol dehydrators, engines, gas-driven pneumatic devices, component leaks, and well unloadings. The state kept pace with its historical push for environmental regulations by releasing the Colorado Greenhouse Pollution Reduction Roadmap in early October. The roadmap, released by Governor Jared Polis' administration after nine months of work, is intended to curb Colorado's greenhouse gases through heavy cuts to emissions from power plants and oil and gas operators, but also winds across ambitious reductions in pollution from cars, buildings, and even cows. Woo. <laughs> Led by the Air Quality Control Commission, the state is charged under House Bill 1261, passed in 2019, to cut emissions of greenhouse gases linked to climate change by 26% from 2005 levels in 2025, 50% by 2030, and 90% by 2050. So, how does this apply to the oil and gas sector? Well, according to the report, transportation, largely as a result of auto traffic, has become the state's leading source of greenhouse gases, followed by emissions from power plants and the oil and gas industry. 
Therefore, in order to achieve the state's 2025 and 2030 emission goals, methane emissions from the oil and gas sector as a whole will need to be reduced by at least 33% by 2025 and at least 50% by 2030. A rulemaking that included combustion emissions from stationary engines used in the sector, mandatory monitoring for new wells, pre-production emissions controls, and other measures were completed back in September of 2020 and were used for the roadmap. In 2005, oil and gas accounted for 20 million tons of carbon equivalent emissions. To meet the state's 2025 target emissions, these need to be cut by 6.7 million tons and by 10 million tons to meet the 2030 goals. Unfortunately, while there are a lot of ideas in the roadmap, it quickly drew flack from some environmental groups as they have claimed it failed to set a timetable for specific actions and some of the reduction estimates are overly optimistic. According to environmental policymakers, the roadmap is, quote, missing the most essential element for progress, concrete regulatory policies to be proposed swiftly that taken together are fully capable of guaranteeing climate pollution goes down, end quote. In other words, the roadmap lacks specifics. While not a step-by-step list, the rules require oil and gas companies to control and monitor emissions from fracking and meet tighter emission performance standards on the electric motors used at drill sites. The new rules for the pre-production phase are in addition to the regulations the AQCC last year issued to reduce emissions from oil and gas storage tanks, pipelines, and low-producing wells. While the AQCC did not adopt revisions urged by environmental and community groups, such as mandating uniform air emissions and testing protocols and requiring only electric motors at drill sites when feasible, the regulations do require the control of of flowback tank emissions. The flowback vessels must be covered and attached to a combustion device that flares fugitive emissions in order to get rid of volatile organic compounds contributing to ozone pollution. In addition, each site must also have air quality monitoring from 10 days before work begins, an increased time frame from the original three days, until six months after the well is completed. Unfortunately, one of the most contentious issues was how site emissions would be monitored. The rules leave it up to the operator to select the technology, emissions, and protocol for monitoring. The issue highlights how vague the policies are and how vague a gradual ramp down of emissions can be. All right, so Tavis, so let's talk some pros and cons. To me, Definite pro is the concrete number of how much emissions reductions are required. Since we know what the value was back in 2005, we know what a 33% reduction is going to look like. We know what that 50% reduction is going to look like. I also love the fact that flowback tanks need flares and they can't just vent those VOCs to the atmosphere. And then finally, that they are requiring air quality control mechanisms and then also a timeline of when you need to monitor. Granted, there's also some of those cons. Yeah, I agree with what you're saying entirely. Having those benchmarks gives you a concrete goal, but like you were saying, if you look at the rest of the policies, it lacks a lot of specifics. Transportation, one of the biggest challenges when we try to manage these emissions, they say, oh, make better technology, use more public transportation. I mean, that rides on the hopes that people are going to care enough to do it, and I think a large amount of people will, but it's going to be easier if you do put those concrete guidelines in, how to regulate it, how to observe it, and see where it's going. So while oil and gas does have these goals, that's great. The other sectors that are, well, emitting way more seem to not have the same stringent requirements. Well, I mean, even if we look inside oil and gas, there's not specifics in this roadmap saying, okay, this is how you need to reduce these emissions. It's just kind of this blanket statement, if you will, of, okay, this is our goal, but how are we actually going to get there? That's the issues I see with these Colorado regulations. 
Similar to their neighbors to the north, the State Energy, Minerals, and Natural Resources Department, EMNRD, in New Mexico has released a final proposed rule to reduce natural gas waste and methane emissions in producing oil and natural gas fields. Following up on the climate strategy introduced last year by Governor Michelle Lujan Grissom, New Mexico regulators are developing what could become the strictest standards in the nation to regulate the volumes of methane released into the environment by oil and gas operators. Under the rule, operators would be required to capture 98% of gas by the end of 2026. The agency estimates that the rule will reduce volatile organic compounds by 77,000 tons and nitrogen oxides, NOx, by 21,000 tons. New Mexico has set a date of January 4th for codifying the methane and natural gas regulations set forth by the EMNRD and its Oil Conservation Division, or the OCD. Failure to comply with the regulations, if they are approved by the OCD and put into their regulations, could result in fines, civil action, or denial of future permits by state regulators. The regulatory push comes as emission levels have risen sharply in the state, driven in large part by increased oil and gas production. According to a 2019 Climate Change Task Force report, the oil and gas sector accounted for 62% of the state's methane emissions. Woo! As a result, in January 2019, the newly elected governor signed an executive order calling on the state's agencies to find ways to reduce their impact on climate change while creating New Mexico's Climate Change Task Force and aligning it with the state's Paris Climate Accord. The task force teamed up with the EMNRD to formulate a plan on how to move forward with an industry key to the state while ensuring a commitment to the environment. The OCD's deputy director, Tiffany Pollock, said that the EMNRD rules would be implemented in two main phases. In the first phase, scheduled to take place through the end of 2021, the agency is going to collect data related to each operator's current emissions in order to set a baseline emission reduction target. Then, at the end of the next year or into early 2022, those baseline targets will be set. For example, if Rare Petro were an operator at an 85% gas capture rate, targets will be set annually for the next five years to get up to 98% by the end of 2026. However, a unique aspect of New Mexico's proposed rules is that it also includes the midstream industry segment as opposed to rules in most other states which only include the upstream part of the business. Similar to the policy changes in Colorado, the new regulations lack specific action points and the reduction estimates are overly optimistic. While these rules are expected to be enacted in early 2021, there is a possibility that they will be refined to implement concrete action points and meet less stringent targets to support the local oil and gas industry. Again, big fan of this because if you can get to 98% gas capture rate, not only do you have a goal, it gives you a little bit of a time frame. You can come up with steps to do it yourself. So it leaves some room to grow. And I don't know if we look at, I think, I think it's the Bakken in uh, North Dakota right now. One thing to be aware of, they were at 93% gas capture rate, even though their goal was 92. And that's awesome. But we do have to remember that the numbers you might be basing that off of this year are also a result of decreased production. Oh, absolutely. And, and that's something where um, we're definitely going to jump into this when we talk about Texas. But some of these decreases in, in, say, flaring rates or gas capture, it is due in part to production. So as these levels start ramping back up, these targets are going to be even harder to hit. Mm -hmm. But again, I, I kind of am right there with you, Tavis. I love that this is, well, it's going to be the most stringent regulations in the United States, 98% by 2026. That's absurd. But the problem, it's it lacks specifics. This is It's only a target, and there's no action points on how to get there. And it just... To me, it seems like it's way too much, way too soon. I'm almost seeing a trend here. 
In August, the Texas Railroad Commission, RRC, regulator of the largest producing state in the U.S., took steps aimed at reducing flaring and improving reporting requirements for any releases by approving four public comment proposed changes to the application for exception to statewide Rule 32. Critics of the previous process have claimed that the state's exemptions to long-term or routine flaring essentially allowed operators to flare unlimited quantities of gas. As of 2019, Texas regulators had never rejected a flaring application. The new rule changes would reduce the amount of time an operator can obtain an administrative exception to the flaring rule, provide incentives for the deployment of technology that reduces gas flaring, require operators to provide more information outlining how their specific situation justifies a need to flare, and tag flares to the specific production property where they take place. The Railroad Commission noticed that between June 2019 and May 2020, the amount of produced gas flared in Texas was reduced by 79%, while gas production simultaneously rose 13%. In addition, flaring of casing head gas produced from an oil well was decreased by 82%. Therefore, the sharp decline in the flaring rate suggests that a decreased flaring volume was caused by more than simply a decrease in production. More specifically, the data suggests that the implementation of statewide Rule 32 has reduced flaring volumes. Luckily for operators, reduced flaring is not only good for the environment, but also good for their pocketbooks. In fact, the Railroad Commission's actions followed the June release of a report which found that operators in the Permian Basin burned a record $750 million worth of natural gas back in 2018. The Institute for Energy Economics and Financial Analysis report also calculated 238.1 billion cubic feet of gas was either flared or vented, roughly double the amount wasted in 2017. Clearly, the new rules have some dual benefits. On November 4th, commissioners for the Railroad Commission of Texas took a critical step forward, further reducing flaring from oil and gas sites in the state by approving a revamped Form R32, application for exception to statewide Rule 32. The approval will be used by oil and gas operators to apply for an exception to flare gas during oil and gas operations. In addition, the form provides specific guidance on what an exception to flare would be permissible, under which circumstances, and for how long. The Commissioner's action made changes to the application for flaring exceptions, not to the statewide Rule 32. Without changing any of the state's rules, the new forms that oil and gas producers must file with the state will in many cases place stiffer limits on how long the flaring can go on. Some exemptions may be reduced by 50 to 80% from current allowable flaring durations, the RCC said in its announcement of the changes. Texas has done a tremendous job reducing flaring this year, flaring less than half of a percent of gas produced in May 2020, but there's still work to be done. The new form is an important step in minimizing routine flaring in Texas, as it allows the commission to collect the information it needs to better determine who is following the rules and who is not when it comes to flaring. The commission also said it will require more information from operators about why they are seeking to flare or vent gas, which is going to help the agency ensure operators are compliant with the current rules as it relates to their reported production rates. Essentially, the form will help collect more accurate data to assess the role of flaring and look for ways to reduce it going forward. While the rules are effective now, operators must start using the new form by April 1st, 2021. After that date, all operators in Texas must show justification as to why wells cannot be shut in to avoid flaring or venting gas. This includes a requirement for operators to explain why the gas cannot be sold or used for other beneficial uses. Notably, operators may have to submit data on pipeline availability and include an economic analysis on gas marketability to back up their case. To make it easier for operators to file this information, 
the RCC is developing an online application process for flaring exemptions that will be ready in March 2021. Form R32 will be part of the Commission's development of a Rule 32 computer program, which will facilitate the online submission of flaring requests and provide the agency with a better mechanism for compliance audits and data analytics. Luckily for Texas, the new rules are actionable and have a concrete path towards emissions reductions while working with operators on a smooth transition towards progress. I really like a lot of what Texas is doing. I mean, they realized that through 2019, they never rejected a flaring application and they realized, okay, this clearly has to change. We can't just always allow just operators to flare at flare $750 million worth of energy away. Yeah, exactly. And that to me is also a perk to the oil and gas companies because they realize, okay, all this flaring, it's bad for the environment, but it's also bad for our bottom lines. Look, we're wasting combined in Texas. This isn't individual operators, but 750 million, that is a significant quantity right there. Oh, definitely. And it's nice that they are highlighting that those things aren't mutually exclusive. We can align all these goals with economic benefit, better environmental protection, and still money for the operators and get it all together. But pipeline protests have the potential to create bottlenecks for all of this produced gas because they need probably more pipelines once we get back to pre-pandemic levels to handle all this gas if they can't flare it. And if people are protesting the implementation of that, there just won't be the volume to push it through. Exactly. And that's really where those issues are going to start arousing. If Texas operators realize, okay, I can't flare this gas. I have to send it down a pipeline somewhere. That's where this new form is going to come into handy. If they say, look, I have to flare this gas because there's no pipelines available. And the fact that it's now online, it's easy and instantaneous. There's going to be no downtime for it's sitting in a pile on someone's desk waiting for approval for three months. It's just boom, instantaneous and online. I almost wish that somebody could take these protesters and say, all right, if you have two options, put the gas in a pipeline or flare it, you choose. And I mean, that's it's a pretty strong argument there. It's a strong arm them into it. But I mean, come on, when you look at it like that, pipelines are pretty damn cool. <laughs> <laughs> While there are certainly air quality standards relating to oil and gas activities at the federal level, the rollback of key emission standards has caused individual states to take matters into their own hands. While Colorado, New Mexico, and Texas were the focus of this article, other states like California, Oklahoma, and North Dakota are also taking action to improve air quality through legislative changes targeting the oil and gas industry. With each state making regional as opposed to national changes, operators will have to adjust their current operations according to recent rule changes. For example, Operators down in Texas will need to figure out how to process more natural gas to be used or sold for beneficial purposes as opposed to being flared. This is different from the issues faced in Colorado as companies already must submit a form seeking permission to vent or flare and must regularly report those gas volumes. Instead, Colorado operators are now focusing on how to reduce combustion emissions from stationary engines used in the sector, mandatory monitoring requirements for new wells, and pre-production emissions controls installed on site. Oklahoma is starting down a hybrid path similar to that of Texas and Colorado, where they must focus on reducing flaring, plus all emissions from storage tanks to the wellhead. While the new regulations in Oklahoma are significantly more stringent than those of their oil-producing counterparts, they will be able to utilize what worked well and what did not work well in Texas and Colorado as they begin to formulate their own roadmap for the future. These new requirements may impact operators in several ways while providing opportunities for other areas of the oil and gas sector. Due to historically low oil prices and many companies wishing to tighten their belt, such legislative changes open the door for specialized consulting companies to support operators that may be strapped for cash. Instead of hiring an internal compliance manager or regulatory expert, 
Some companies may wish to outsource to a group specializing in regulatory compliance and data collection, or even organization. This may be beneficial in multiple areas for short-term work until the backlog of paperwork from rule changes can be addressed and the team can be brought up to speed. While each operator will pick their own path forward, many will be working towards the same tasks. New regulatory changes will require additional limits on greenhouse gases and air pollution. Companies will have to adjust to ensure there aren't bottlenecks in gas takeaway infrastructure, investing more in power grids for remote areas, revamping air permitting procedures, focusing on better recording standards, and implementing digital technology to optimize data collection for state reports. While each state has charted its own path, it is a path towards a sustainable energy future that includes oil and gas operations in the domestic energy mix. And that is the end of this episode. As always, be sure to leave your reviews, any comments you have. Hey, Kevin's going to edit this episode, so tell me what I could learn from him, what I could pick up from his nifty new tricks, and anything else, really. You can contact us at podcast at rarepetro.com or even just go to rarepetro.com and browse all of the other content that we put up and any services our company can offer you. So until we see you next time, take care, everybody. Have a good one.